0: This week's New Testament passage comes from First Peter five, five through seven. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we're talking about humility this morning. We're continuing our series through the book of Proverbs, and Proverbs has wisdom that is incredibly uh, applicable for our lives. In fact, I don't even have to let me back up here. I, I don't have to do tons of exegesis in Proverbs because the whole book from really chapter nine on, which is where the Proverbs actually start, is like it's like one big book of application. So it's incredibly practical for our lives. And um, this is one of those books of the Bible that that really I mean you could read through as a daily devotional and find good advice from the Word of God about daily living as it embodies God's wisdom in very pithy, short sayings. And so we've covered some really good topics, and today we're talking about humility. Our New Testament passage sort of reflected that. So we've got three verses on humility that I'm gonna be preaching from this morning, Proverbs 15, Proverbs 16 and Proverbs 22 and 4. Proverbs 15 and 33. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Proverbs sixteen eighteen. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall in Proverbs 22 and 4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Father, thank you now for this, your word. We pray for the illumination of the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our hearts that we might glean the wisdom of your word, that we might be transformed by its renewing and sanctifying power. That we might be conformed to the image and likeness of your son through your word, and that we might be convicted and convinced of its truth, and leave this place differently than the way we came in. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, I grew up around boxing. Uh, My grandfather was a boxer in the 1930s. He was an immigrant from Romania. And grew up on the streets. I think at 12 years old, he was selling newspapers, and he got into boxing. I've got pictures of my grandfather back in those days. You know, boxers they they took pictures like this. I don't know why their fists were up, but you know, their boxing shorts were you know like pulled up all the way to their chest. You know, and he was uh, flyweight. He was just he was a little guy, but that he had that had a love for boxing his entire life. And in the 70s, he moved, him and my grandmother moved to Vegas. He wanted to be around the fights. And so I grew up with this great passion and love for boxing. Uh, In our home, we would just watch all the big fights. And to this day, I still love professional fighting. Some sometimes I say, well, that's not very pastoral. I don't know if it is or it's not. I just love it. I like professional fighting. I like watching professional fights. I grew up around it. In fact, Maribel and I, some of our first dates were watching the big fights, watching Tyson in his early career uh, in the late 80s and early 90s. You know, we, we would gather with my parents and we'd watch the big Tyson fights. Now, one of the main things about... A fighter is the line between showmanship and arrogance. And it's a fine line because you know, we all like exciting fighters. And Ali was that way. Um, other fighters are that way, but there's this line that they can cross over and they can be arrogant. And for me, I think, uh, and for most peoples, when it comes to watching a fighter, our loyalties are not so much with whether they're black or white or American or foreign. We want a guy, we want, we want to root for someone who's a good boxer, but who's got a degree of humility. We want, to, we, we want someone who has, like, you know, some kind of humility. If a guy thinks he's undefeatable and he's always trash talking and he's just super arrogant and cocky, uh, after a while, you want to see someone put that fighter in their place. You just do. You want to see someone knock his block off because pride and arrogance, it, they rub us the wrong way. Um, we, don't, we don't like it. We, we don't like proud people, we don't like arrogant people, we don't like cocky people. I'm not talking about being confident in your abilities, I'm talking someone who's just like overly arrogant. And I was the biggest Evander Holyfield fan, and to me, Holyfield will go down as one of the all-time great fighters. I don't care what anybody says, I loved Holyfield. And he was an incredible fighter who came from nothing, and he was a genuinely nice guy. Like if you ran up to Holyfield to this day, I mean, he would stop and talk to you. He's a genuinely nice guy. And in his first big fight with Tyson, um, Tyson was trash talking and saying all these outrageous, crazy things. And by that time, Tyson had become a Muslim, and Holyfield was pretty open about his Christian faith. Now, don't, don't ask me to, To get into like the philosophical debate of whether someone can be a Christian a professional fighter I don't you know, that's a discussion for another day, but Holyfield was Outspoken about his Christian faith and he was a humble guy. So like my church at the time we just naturally took sides and We were we were praying for Holyfield. We just we just wanted him to win so bad to put Tyson in his place and um, and he did he won and when he won, uh, we celebrated. Now, my theology was different back then. But we celebrated, and we were like, you know, we were you know, shouting and you know, rejoicing. You know, it was like the Lord had blessed, you know, the Christian fighter to win. Now, did God really bless Holyfield to win? I, I don't know. But um, we were so put off by Tyson's arrogance, and we were captured, and this is what I want to focus on, we were captured by Holyfield's humility. And time and time again, Scripture teaches us that humility captures the attention of God. I mean, the Bible is this replete message from God that God pays close attention to humble people. That the heart of God is captured by humility. He's captured by Humble people. It captures his attention. God is decisively drawn to humble hearts. Matthew 23 12 says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That, I think it's a helpful visual there. All right. James four and six, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now if your grace theology, your reformed theology is working well, you may be thinking, wait a minute, if I'm humble enough, God will give me grace? That sounds like I'm earning it, right? That, that sounds, kind of sounds like a work. So God will give me grace which is undeserved if I demonstrate that I'm humble enough? How, how does that work? Well, great, uh, excuse me. humility isn't a work. It's a recognition, and that's the difference. It is a recognition of our unworthiness. In fact, this is a quote definition by C.J. Mahaney in his really good little book on humility. Humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our own sinfulness. Humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our own sinfulness. In other words, humble people recognize their need for God's help. That's why they receive grace. They know they need his blessing. They ask for it. Whatever you're building in your life, a marriage, a family, a business, a church, a career, in all of your ventures, are you aware of your need for God's grace to give your efforts lasting value? Do you long for God's help and God's blessing? Do you recognize that you cannot do things on your own Or are you standing firm and proud every day in your own strength, confident in your own abilities? Well, the first thing I want us to see is that humility, this is point number one, humility is the pathway to honor, Proverbs 15, 33. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Humility is the pathway to honor. You know, self-esteem is the spirit of our times. And in one sense, there's nothing wrong with having self-esteem if, if by it we mean dignity and self-valuing ourselves as image bearers of God. And so that kind of self-esteem, has nothing wrong with that necessarily. But that is often not what's meant by self-esteem nowadays. In fact, if you do an Amazon search uh, on books on self-esteem, you'll get over 30,000 hits. 30,000 books have been written about self-esteem, books on self-esteem. If you type in humility, you know what you get? You get 7,000 hits, which is about two-thirds less. So people are buying and concerned, far more concerned with self-esteem and self-confidence, which means that the conventional wisdom of our times is that self-regard is how we become successful and well-adjusted. And if you, as the wisdom goes, if you lack those things, you're like, you're on the road to, to underachieving and maybe a life of crime. That's what they would have us believe, but that's not actually true. In her New York Times article, The Trouble with Self-Esteem, Laura Slater quotes a researcher who studied criminals and concluded this, quote, the fact is we've put antisocial men through every self-esteem test we have and there's no evidence, none, for the old psychodynamic concept that they, are, that they secretly feel bad about themselves. These men are racist or violent because they don't feel bad enough about themselves. End quote. And I can speak directly to this. I've shared with many of you, even from the pulpit recently, that I grew up as a gang banger in Los Angeles. I grew up in a Hispanic neighborhood and got jumped into a gang, and I spent about six years of my teenage years running the streets in and out of correctional facilities, and I gotta tell you, uh, we didn't have a self-esteem problem. We we we, We thought we were tough, we thought we were good looking, we thought we were smart, everybody else was dumb, I mean, we were the, we were like special, and that's how we viewed ourselves. We thought we were the smartest, and in reality, like we were ignorant fools. I mean, that's the the funny irony of it, but I mean, we judged everyone as being inferior to us. We couldn't respect authority because we were so intoxicated with our own sense of self-importance. I mean, that's really, at the end of the day, that was really what was going on someone you know who worked hard and went to work every day and obeyed the rules and stopped at stoplights and didn't steal things you know They were they were suckers They were they were idiots from from our perspective. We walked around like we owned the world We took what we want we hurt who we want and it wasn't because we lacked self-esteem. We actually had too much of it It wasn't until Jesus got a hold of me that I began to soften and I have to tell you that it, i did not immediately recognize that i was filled with pride it took time and it's been you know 25 plus years later and god is still revealing to me how proud i am like god is still showing me how much pride i have how, how arrogant i can be at times he's still revealing to me my pride now if you've gone anywhere in life if you've gotten anywhere in life you've probably had to admit at some point that you didn't know it all, right? If you learned anything, if you increased in your career in a trade as a mother, a father, whatever the case may be, at some point you had to recognize that that you were sort of down here. And you may have wanted to be up here, but there was a process, and so you had to admit that you needed others, that you didn't know it all, and for those who are unable to do that, their growth is stifled, right? You've seen it. You've seen that happen with people. If you've gotten anywhere, though, you've recognized that you didn't know it all and that you needed God. And God delights in exalting humble people because they glorify and honor him, and not themselves when they succeed. God delights in exalting humble people because when they succeed, And when they achieve, they glorify him because they recognize that God is helping them. God delights in it. They're teachable. They're open to instruction and correction. And this is a key theme of the book of Proverbs. The fool resists instruction. And wisdom says at the end of one of the chapters, all who hate me, wisdom and instruction, All who hate me love death. Because being openness to wisdom, being openness to instruction is character building. It's life-giving. But the proud are closed off to that, and so what they get instead is not success and achievement in life. They get death and destruction. And so wisdom says, whoever hates me, wisdom speaking, loves death. Now the question to us is, what others say about you And you shouldn't ask this of yourself because you're not an accurate assessor of your own humility. None of us are. So don't ask me if I'm humble because even if I say, yeah, I think I'm humble, it's not humility. (laughs) But what others say about you, are you teachable? Or would they say, nah, she's a know-it-all or he's a know-it-all. Are you the kind of person who's insulted anytime someone presumes to instruct you? Proverbs says again that correction is life giving because it forms our character when we're open to it. And back to the gesture I made in the beginning the way up is really the way down. If you want to be exalted, if you want to be honored, you have to walk the road of humility. You have to walk the path of humility. So, number one, Humility is the pathway to honor. Number two, I want us to see that pride destroys us. Proverbs 16 and 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now in Hebrew, the word that we translate from haughty means like uh, lofty and lifted up, and literally translated, it means prominence of forehead. So when we say that, oh, that person's got such a big head, it is actually a very close translation of the original Hebrew word for haughty, right? The prominence of forehead. And the interesting thing about pride and a big forehead is it's apparent and visible to everyone around you but you. Pride is one of those sins, and you say, well, what do you mean, you look in the mirror? Well, in the ancient world, they. I'm guessing here, but I'm just going to say there wasn't a mirror in every room, okay? So your big forehead, everyone else could see but you. And pride is that way. Pride is one of those sins that becomes apparent to everyone around you before it becomes apparent to you. In fact, most proud people are unaware that they're proud or that they're haughty and they're lifted up. It's the only sin visible to everyone around you before you're made aware of it. The Dunning Kruger effect in the field of psychology is a cognitive bias in which people mistakenly assess their cognitive abilities as greater than they are. It's sometimes referred to as the bias of illusory superiority. In other words, people of low cognitive ability have an internal illusion about themselves. They think they're smarter than they really are. And the findings from these two psychologists, Dunning and Kruger, were the result of people taking tests and before they went into the test room, the examination room, they were asked, how do you think you'll do on this test? And they said, oh, I'm gonna ace it. I'll probably be in the high 90 percentile, and they came out almost, you know, with very low test scores. And that sp- like spawned more studies where they found that um, people of low cognitive ability often think that they are of a much higher cognitive ability than they really are. And because they're so kind of puffed up, it's not a psychological disorder, It's you know, it's, it's a condition of the heart and mind where you just think you're smarter than you really are and that thinking you're smarter than you really are does not allow you to make adjustments to get better or get smarter because you just can't admit. You cannot conceive that you are not as smart as you think you are. On the flip side, people of high cognitive ability often have an external misperception about others, meaning they assume everyone else is probably smarter than they are. And so they become lifelong learners. They always believe that they have something to learn. They always believe that others can teach them something. They always believe that they've never, they have not arrived yet, no matter how old they are, no matter how successful they are. Isn't that interesting, right? It's sort of counterintuitive. So, The people of low cognitive ability have an internal misperception about themselves. The people of high cognitive ability have an external misperception about others, just assuming everyone else is smarter than them. And so they give themselves to learning and growth and all of those things because they never feel like they've arrived. Which essentially means that the people in our world, for the most part, who are up here, see themselves as being down here. And the people who often are down here, in their cognitive ability I'm talking about, I'm not talking about their station in life socioeconomically. don't don't hear me say that. But the people who are down here, they often think they're up here. And it's interesting how that works. If you think little of yourself, you'll be made much of. If you think much of yourself, too much of yourself, it'll have devastating consequences for you. And what I love about the Word of God is, like, Proverbs figured this out, like, thousands of years ago. It's like, yeah, we call that humility. And that's pride. And pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride has real consequences. There are real consequences to pride. And on the flip side, humility has real rewards. So my third point is we can be encouraged by humility's reward. Proverbs 22 and 4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. You know, the Bible redefines greatness for us. And this is something as just human beings, but especially living in the Western world that it is always running against the grain of our sensibilities because the world defines greatness the way the world defines it. And the Bible defines greatness just the opposite. It sort of inverts and flips the world's model of greatness up on its head. Because the Bible shows us that the true path to success is humility you listen when Jesus's disciples when they argued about who would be greatest in the kingdom it was a concern for them you can see where their sensibilities were right because that's how kings and kingdoms function you know people are where where in the king's cabinet am I going to be am I going to get a prominent position and this is what Jesus said listen listen to what Jesus says if anyone would be first he must be last of all and servant of all if, if anyone would be first, he has to make himself last. Right? Uh, leaders, good leaders know this, right? Like There's this phrase, leaders eat last. Um, and, and, and the idea that, that if you've been put in a position of authority and leadership, that it's your job to serve the people around you, not to insist automatically on your own you know, prominence and importance. And so Jesus gives them a model. Actually, it's the pattern of Scripture from start to finish. Suffering, then glory. Humility, then honor. That is the pattern of Scripture. That is the pattern of faith. That is the pattern of our Christian faith. Suffering, then glory. Humility, then honor. And it is a pattern that the Son of God himself submitted to. And it became the template for Jesus' life. Humility, then honor. Jesus' life was one of suffering, then glory. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. I don't have it on the screen because it's too big, but just listen. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count his equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, humbled himself, humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is lord to the glory of God the father that's a powerful powerful critique of our world and the world we live in that before there is honor there's suffering and before there is glory there is humility Do you want to know what a cross-shaped life does? It ensures humility. And humility walks the path of the cross. Theologians have come up with this word, cruciform, a cruciform life, a life shaped by the cross. Not only because Jesus was humbled to go to the cross, but the cross humbles us if we cling closely to it because it reminds us that we're sinners. We're in need of a savior. It reminds us that we couldn't save ourselves, and that is humbling. That obliterates any room for boasting. You cannot boast if you cannot save yourself. You have no room for boasting if you can't save yourself. And that's what the cross does. And this is why we walk the way of the cross, This is why we cling closely to the cross, and this is why we abide in the cross. How do we stay humble? Keep looking at the cross. Because it never flatters us. It only tells us that without Jesus, we cannot be saved. And that's good news. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word this good word to mortify our pride. We're prideful, I'm a prideful creature. I confess it publicly. And Lord, we look to Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith as the one who humbly and obediently lived a perfect life to your law and went to the cross in obedience for the joy and the glory that awaited the other side, awaited him on the other side. Lord, you don't call us to humility for its own sake, but in humility, our character is formed and we're conformed by your grace to the image of your son, Jesus. Help us now to be transformed and conformed by it, by your love and mercy through Christ, amen.